Well, good morning. Welcome to Cibolo Creek Online. I'm so glad you joined us today. I'm really, really glad that you're here and the place that you are, but still all of us together. Hey, listen, uh, my staff has been studying the information, the data, the numbers, and they have told me that uh, the average stay of a person watching our online broadcast it lasts for about 35 minutes. So I'm not really sure how much time I have before you turn me off and go on about your day. So let me take care of the really important stuff uh, first. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna take this opportunity to invite every one of you to join us this coming Thursday evening for a special gathering of worship and prayer. It's going to be a, a gathering that we host on Zoom and you can find the access code to that gathering on our Facebook page, our uh, Instagram site. You can find it on our website. We would love to have you join us. It's gonna happen at 6.30 p.m. And it's all about our church family starting to gather together in prayer to ask God's guidance and his help as we anticipate opening our campus again to host services here at Cibolo Creek Community Church. And so uh, we would love for you to join us for that time. I think that you'll really enjoy it and I will certainly appreciate the encouragement of a church family praying together. And all of that anticipation of the exciting day that we're looking forward to, Sunday, July the 5th, which will be the very first time that we We'll meet again here on our campus as a church family, and I would love for everyone to be able to join us for that exciting day. We're, we're thinking through all of the different um, ways to go about doing that in a healthy and a safe way. We're thinking about all the different ways we'll have to do that to provide for everybody in light of social distancing. And um, we're really, really looking forward to everybody being able to enjoy a service here on our campus again Sunday, July the 5th, um, if you choose to. And, and so I just want to take a minute and I want to say to those of you who, who may not feel comfortable returning back to our services here on our campus in July for any number of concerns or cautions that you may have that we just don't understand or appreciate because we don't know your story. And I, I just want to say to you, who may take a little bit longer to feel confident to come back to gatherings of large crowds. I, I just wanna say, I understand and I respect your choice. And I just want you to know that we'll continue to offer our online services to serve you and your family. And I um, also want you to know we're gonna continue to be your church family even though you may not gather with us when we all get back together again. And so I want you to know we'll continue to pray for you. We'll continue to be of help to you in any way that we can. And please take the opportunity on our website to find those places where you can share requests for prayer, where you can make requests for help. Because we want you to know we're still your church family. We still love you. And we will anxiously look forward to the time that you're prepared and confident and, and feel good about coming back to uh, meet together with us on our campus. So I just want you to know that we love you and we appreciate you and we're here to serve you in any way that we can. You know, I, I've told you before that I'm an incurable people watcher. I find it fascinating to observe human behavior. And um, I just had this wonderful experience of being able to have a front row seat of watching humans behave when they were told that we had to shelter in place. And here, here's what I observed about that experience. Initially, people were generally very cooperative out of a concern for everybody's safety. And they were generally cooperative because there was a whole lot of confusion about really understanding how the virus worked and how it was communicated and, and what it would bring on our lives and our nation. And so we, we, we all just generally um, participated, sheltering in place with, with a good spirit, with a good attitude. And you know, much of the conversation on social media when it all first began was, was things like, um, it's a break from the normal hustle of our lives. Um, this is a great opportunity for some treasured time with our families. Um, 
There was even a spirit of this would be a great chance for a more simple approach to life, not always going so fast and some furious. We could slow things down and, and maybe even find some time to do some things that we might not otherwise have time to do. And I watched that for about three or four weeks, and then I, I saw a shift happen as people began to grow frustrated with and tired of the quarantine. And then about that time, we were all starting to feel the very conflicting messages about how the virus worked and why everything had to be shut down. And, and we were starting to, you know, wrestle with, you know, does social distancing really work and are masks really necessary and are the closures of businesses and schools really wise? And, and what I started to see, particularly in social media, was that um, people were starting to get frustrated. And to my delight, at about the time that frustrations were starting to really pick up, there was this remarkable part of the human spirit that I absolutely love. I saw it break forth. That resilient part of the human spirit that can find humor in difficult situations. And it was, it was enjoyable to start watching people poke fun at our predicament the memes and the mockery kind of broke forth in a, in a way that I just found really, really delightful. And what I, what I noticed is, is that people started sharing some of the creative ways that they found necessary just, just to try to keep from losing their minds. And one of the things that seemed to be one of the most popular options for how people were keeping themselves entertained and, and adjusted is the... Um, there was a lot of television shows that became popular, a lot of movies and documentaries. And without a doubt, at the top of the list of the most popular show that seemed to be getting all of the conversation, all of the traffic on social media, was the show The Tiger King. Now, if you were in the house here, um, what I would do right now is I'd ask everybody to raise their hands if you watched The Tiger King. And um, nobody's in the house, so I'll, I have no idea. But I, from what I could tell, a lot of people followed this, this series. And uh, I found that interesting. I, I did not watch it. My youngest son watched it. He thought I should watch it, made all kinds of pitches for me to watch it. I, I still haven't. Because during quarantine, what I found uh, quite interesting is that while many of you were watching The Tiger King, I was watching another documentary called The Last Dance. And the Last Dance is um, a wonderful documentary, 10-part, I believe. Uh, it's about the, historical, the historic six championships that were won by Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls back in the 1990s. Now, I was sort of following all of that when it happened that many years ago, and so this documentary was of particular interest to me. And, um, and here's, here was the gist of the, the show, if you, if you haven't seen it, is that um, at the time in the National Basketball Association, with all that talent, there really was nobody else who was in the same league as Michael Jordan at the time. And while he couldn't carry a dynasty, while he didn't carry a dynasty all by himself, what we do know is that everybody else served simply as a supporting role in his above average contributions to the team. And I found it really interesting is that throughout the documentary, they interviewed a number of his former teammates and what they all said was that Michael Jordan was a really tough customer. He was so intense. He was so passionate about the game of basketball and so passionate about winning. And one of the things they all observed is that Michael Jordan practiced with the same intensity that he played. It didn't matter if it was game time or practice time. He was bringing 110% of his talents to the situation. And all of them remarked that, man, when it came to practicing and playing, he, he was hard to please. Because you either wanted to win as badly as he did, or you weren't, as help, you weren't helpful in the least. He didn't have much time for you. 
Uh, you either gave 100%, 100% of the time, or you were snubbed or mocked by the hardest working player on the court. You know, it's interesting, um, during those years that Michael Jordan lived in Chicago, uh, he lived in quite a spectacular home. He lived in a 56,000 square foot home in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, it had nine bedrooms, 19 bathrooms. It had a three bedroom guest house. It had a 14 car garage sat on seven and a half private acres. I mean, if any of you are interested, the home is actually for sale right now. It's been on the market for the last eight years. Started out at the sale price of $29 million, but has been slashed now to in half, $14 million. You could live in Michael Jordan's former home. So if any of you are looking for a place, that might be of interest to you. But, but here's what's interesting about the home that he lived in. It had a full-size professional-grade basketball gymnasium and a state-of-the-art workout facility that would rival any health club. It was an amazing facility. And every day during the season and during the off-season, Michael Jordan hosted there in his home, there in the basketball court and the, the workout facility, he, he hosted what was called the Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club was an exclusive training experience for those teammates that Michael believed were most committed to winning the next basketball championship. Only a certain number of teammates were invited. He had to know that you were all in to winning the next season. And here's the deal. Bottom line is, if you were invited to hang out with Michael Jordan at the breakfast club, you would become a better basketball player. And while many former teammates will tell you that Michael Jordan was one tough taskmaster, all of them will tell you that they became better basketball players because of his relentless pursuit of excellence. And some of them have several championship rings to show for. Now, I watched that whole documentary and what I learned from it, and I saw it as a parable, a story that's happening in our society or happened in our society that we can learn some lessons from. And, and here was one of the lessons that I took away from watching The Last Dance is that everybody, everybody needs at least one friend in their life who will challenge you to become a better human being. Everybody needs at least one friend in their life who will challenge them to become a better human being. You know, a few weeks ago, um, Matt Snellings, our community life pastor, and I met together for uh, a discussion about this series that we start today, Life on Life, as he and I are sharing this series throughout the month of June. And one of the things that Matt and I um, were noticing is that we observed that when churches talk about friendships, they almost always talk about friendships as those people in our life who help us when going through difficult times in our life. And both Matt and I are huge fans of the idea that all of us need some friends in our life who will help us when we're going through difficult situations and circumstances, when our heart hurts, when we're in pain, when we're overwhelmed or lost. We all need friends like that. But it seems like the church only talks about friendships in that particular way. And so today I wanna to talk about Friendships in a slightly different perspective. You know, we always talk about friends who pick us up when we're down. Today, I want to talk about friends who lift us up to reach goals we never thought possible. We always talk about friends who protect us from harm. You know, friends who have our back. Big fans of friends who have our back. 
But today, I want to talk about friends who not just protect us, but who push us to take risk that we'd otherwise shrink back from. Friends who push us to have courage and tackle something that we're otherwise intimidated by. You know, we, we talk about friends who comfort and console us when our heart hurts. And I'm, I'm a big fan of friends who comfort and console us when our heart hurts. But today I want to talk about friends who challenge us. Who challenge us to face the pain that it takes to achieve something that is harder than we ever imagined. People who challenge us to go after something that's otherwise intimidating to us or overwhelming to us and to conquer it. That, that's the kind of friends that I want to talk about today. We all need at least one friend in our life who helps us to become better. You see, the truth of the matter is, now listen to me, this is very important. The truth of the matter is that all of us can be better human beings. I mean, we just take a look at what's been happening in our world the last several months, the last couple of weeks. And the truth of the matter is that all of us, the preacher included, all of us, we can be better human beings. And I'll just say, if you don't think that you need to be better or do better, that's a clear sign that you need to be better or do better. You know, all of us need somebody who can help us be better human beings. And let me tell you why. You see, if we're not careful, we as human beings, we can become very comfortable with the way that we are. We can become very complacent with how I am. And the truth of the matter is that the way that we are can be full of all sorts of things about our life that we're missing. We, we, we can be full of blind spots, parts of our lives we don't even see because of a host of reasons, conditioning, culture, um, our background and experience, our education, what we understand about you know, the stage of the world and, and the history. And we, we can have blind spots. We don't even see some of the things that are true about us. We can have these moral inconsistencies. We, we can be very moral, but we can be very inconsistent in how we apply our behavior to certain situations. We, we can have character flaws. We, we don't mean to be a certain way, but we, we're flawed in the very nature of our character. We, we can have social shortcomings, things that we just don't do well when relating to other people. We can have behavioral dysfunctions. That's probably a lot of times rooted in our like family of origin. We just learn to behave and think and respond a certain way. And now we're, we're big people, we're adults, and we still have these dysfunctional ways of behaving because a lot of times of hurt and pain that exists in our past. All of us on one level or another, we have these insecurities that cause us to react to life a certain way and cause us to treat people a certain way and how we feel about ourselves. And come on, all of us, we're human. How many of us don't have something that when we're honest about it, it's a really lousy habit. It's not helping us. And then, then there's the risk that all of us have some expression of, intellectual ignorance you know what that is that's when you think you have something all figured out but you don't really understand all that comes to bear on a matter or on a subject but you're just convinced of what you know and you haven't seen it from other perspectives and all of those kinds of things they can hold us back from being the best person possible. 
And that's why I'm suggesting to you that all of us need a friend who's willing to love us enough to challenge us in areas of our life like that and others. I ran across this quote um, a few weeks ago, I, actually a few months ago. I think it's so um, interesting. And it's, uh, Jim Rohn makes this, makes this statement. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Who is that in your life? You know, it's interesting that in the wisdom of the Bible, we're often warned about the choice of our friends. I mean, look, look at some of these verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul says, don't be misled, don't be fooled. Bad company corrupts good character. If the people that you hang around with are bad company, they, they don't have the same virtues. They don't have the same character that you share, particularly as a Christ follower. You need to know that you run the risk of them corrupting the good character that's in you. Uh, the book of Proverbs is full of warnings about how we should choose our friends. Uh, Proverbs 22, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one who's easily anchored. Okay, so this is the wisdom of the Bible giving us clear directions that at times there's certain people we should avoid having deep friendships with because you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared in their behavior. Proverbs chapter 12. The righteous, the person who seeks to do right as God describes it. The righteous choose their friends carefully. But the way of the wicked leads them astray. Because they're not careful about who they run with and what kind of company they keep. Proverbs chapter 13. Walk with the wise and you will become wise. But the one who is a companion of fools suffers all sorts of consequences that are harmful to their life because of the company they keep. Friends, I'm gonna tell you this. We all, we all want great friends. And most of us, we, will, we all want a lot of friends. But I'll just tell you one of the guiding rules of friendship is quality over quantity. I think God in his wisdom would tell you it's better, it's wiser, it's healthier if you had just a few really quality friends in your life over, over the quest to have the most friends, more friends than anybody else. Quality over quantity is a very important guiding principle in the friends that we choose. Now, there's some things that contribute to a healthy friendship. And I'm going to make a very complex discussion very simple. But here's, here's what I think it takes to have really deep friendships. It takes time. Friendships don't happen overnight. You have to continually and constantly invest time and energy into the people that you're building relationships with. If you neglect the time that's necessary for a friendship to grow, that friendship's not gonna thrive. The other factor is that you, you, have to, you have to provide a certain amount of transparency about who you really are. People who pretend to be something or the other around each other never really go deep in their friendships because they're always protecting what they want them to know up on the surface. So a great friendship requires that we be really honest and open about who we are. And that reason alone, just being open about who we are, that requires a certain amount of safety. So we can't necessarily be completely transparent with every person we meet. That's why some really special and close friends that we that we can be safe with is important. And then you can't have a great friendship without trust. That trust has to, it has to go across all of the different arenas and expressions of that relationship. It can't just, I'll trust them in this one area, but I won't trust them in that other area. That's the work of a really, really good, close friendship. Another interesting quote that I found thought-provoking 
this person who we don't know who said it, uh, they said, surround yourself with people that reflect who you want to be and how you want to feel. And I make this interesting observation. Energies are contagious. Surround yourself with people that reflect who you want to be. Surround yourself with people who reflect how you want to feel. Why? Because energies are contagious. Folks, I'll just tell you, my study of human behavior, I've learned that people exude an energy. Now, we all have good days and we all have bad days. But if you take the, the cross section of a person's life, we all have a certain energy that we bring when we walk into a room or we sit in a group of people or we share a relationship with other people. And, and that, that energy comes from our personality. It comes from the words that we use and the ways that we behave. It, it comes with our intellect and how we talk and address all the different subjects of our life. And, and that energy has something to do with social skills, like how we treat one another and what we understand about emotional intelligence. And the fact of the matter is, that whether positive or negative, everybody has a vibe about them that emanates from their presence. And, and what I've discovered, and this is, again, some very broad categories, but I've, I've basically found there's two types of friendships. There's two types of relationships. When we talk about the energy that somebody exudes, there are those relationships that are energy giving. When you're around these people, you're inspired, you're encouraged, you're, you're, you're delighted. You, you like being around them, you enjoy being around them because the energy that they bring to the equation is so positive, so passionate, so wonderful and safe and you love being around them. But then there's also those relationships that we encounter that are energy draining and being around those kinds of people at times, it's hard. They just suck the life out of you. And so that, that brings me to this observation that uh, Mark Ambrose makes. He says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Wow. That's a pretty powerful statement. It goes back to what we, we heard earlier, that you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. So how's that working for you? But let me clarify one thing here, okay? Are you listening? I know I'm past the 35 minutes that you typically stay around, but uh, maybe if you're still here, let me clarify one thing for you. There's people that you have to live with. They're, they're your family. You, you don't get a choice. They're the people you have to live with. Many of us, you all understand that there are people you have to work with. You don't, you don't make all the hires there's the team, there's the staff, there's the crew. That, that They come from all different places and experiences, but you have to work with them. It's your job, it's their job. And then, then there's just people that you have to deal with. They're, they're people that you encounter in the normal push and shove of everyday life as you go about your routines. But, but I'm talking about the people that you choose to hang out with. family, work associates, strangers that you encounter throughout the normal routines of life, you, you have to deal with them. But I'm now talking about the friends that you choose to be with because you have options. And the option is limiting the amount of time and the kind of influence that those people have in your life. That's the wisdom of the book of Proverbs is be very careful in who you choose to spend time with. If the people that you choose to hang out with are a negative influence, if the people that you choose to hang out with are a drain in your life, if the people that you choose to hang out with are a source of heartbreak in your life, you can decide 
You can decide how much time and energy you're going to afford them to have in your life. You have the option of saying something to this nature is that I can no longer afford, excuse me, I can no longer afford the toll that you're taking on my life. That's an option. If a friendship is particularly destructive or draining to the good that God is trying to do in your life. Folks, there's so many different ways, so many different arenas where we could all use some help. We could all use some friends who lift us up and who challenge us and who push us toward becoming better. I mean, just just look at some of the categories, physically, emotionally, psychologically, relationally, financially, personally, and certainly spiritually. We all have room to grow in all of these areas. And we need some people in our life who will help us with these kinds of things. These are just some of the ways that all of us can be better. And then all of us, we play these different roles in life that are so important, whether we're men and women or husbands and wives or fathers and mothers, whether we're being a friend or being a Christian or a member of our church, just just being a better person, to be an advocate of others, to be a mentor, to be a leader. All of us could use help to become better at what we do. And to become better is found in striving to move beyond where you are currently. Did you hear that? Better is found in us striving beyond where we are in our life right now. So let me ask you some questions. Again, you're home by yourself perhaps or You're not here. I'm not asking you to raise your hands. I won't know the answers to your question, but let me ask you some questions. You ready? With whom are you talking about becoming better? I'm I'm serious. Can you honestly tell me a name of the person that you're actively in discussions with about you becoming a better person. I'm not talking about a friend that you had 25 years ago that you did that. I'm talking about like right now in your life. Who are you talking about? Who are you talking with about becoming better? A a second question. Who is asking you about what you are doing to become better? Who Who have you granted the permission who have you granted the, the authority in your life? Because all of us are wise to have people over us. But I'm asking who? Who is asking you about what you're doing to become a better person? And then I'll ask it this way. Who's pushing you? Who's pushing you to become better? I'm not just talking about the person who consoles and comforts you when you don't do as well as you should. I'm talking about like, who's pushing you to say, come on, we can do better. Who is that in your life? Because I think every one of us needs at least one friend who's like that for us. Folks, let me tell you something about like how we work as human beings especially from an understanding of our faith. Let me tell you about something about the way that sin works in our lives. You ready? Sinfulness, the nature of our heart as humans, it makes us inherently lazy and resistant to change. Most of us as human beings, we don't like to change. And we're slow to change because it's often uncomfortable, terribly inconvenient at times. But that's an expression of the sinfulness of a depraved heart is that we're resistant and lazy about change. And here's the deal. We don't like people telling us what we don't want to hear. That's that's just about everybody. We don't like people telling us what we don't want to hear about ourselves. But here's what I'm gonna tell you. This is founded in the ageless truth of the scriptures, is a wise person welcomes the truth even when it's hard to hear. 
That's straight out of the scriptures. A wise person welcomes the truth even when it's hard to hear. Look at just a few examples. Proverbs chapter 12. Whoever loves discipline, this is correction. This is honesty where somebody's trying to guide you. Whoever loves discipline, they love knowledge. But whoever hates correction, I mean, look at the language here, is stupid. You're a, you're a fool if you hate somebody else trying to guide and correct you in your life. It's, it's the evidence of a resistant and stubborn heart. Look at this uh, later in that same chapter. The way of fools, it seems right to them. I got this all figured out. Don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me what to do. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise, they listen to the input of others. They listen to advice. Look at this, Proverbs chapter 19. Listen to advice, and whatever you do, accept correction, accept guidance, accept discipline. At the end, you will be counted among the wise. You will be a wise person if you listen to advice and accept discipline. I'll tell you a really sad story. Not to make you sad, but as an illustration of what I'm talking about. Um, A while ago, just say a while ago, a couple from our church came to see me um, to voice a complaint about our church. This was not the first time that I'd been in a conversation with this particular couple about their issues with our church. And so I accepted the meeting, got together, the three of us. And um, on this occasion, the complaint that they had about how Sibilo wasn't doing it for them was uh, they were having a hard time making friends. And they were illustrating about why it wasn't working for them. And I listened I listened as graciously and as patiently as I could. And after I'd listened, I I said, may I have the permission to be direct with you? And and they said, oh, absolutely, please tell us, be be direct with us. But here's the problem with that is I knew in my heart, because we had had other conversations, that this wasn't going to go well for me. But I felt like it was time to be honest And as graciously as I could, I told them that the two of you are very toxic. Neither of you are particularly pleasant to be around most of the time. And and I explored some examples where these were the defining characteristics of generally how they operated. They were negative. One of them was incredibly arrogant. I mean, they just couldn't see anybody else's perspective because they were so right. Um, they were pessimistic. Just that was how the, that was their energy. They were so critical of everything and everybody. They they were always selfish in the sense that everything was about them. If it didn't work for them, then it wasn't grouchy, uncooperative. Truth of the matter is, they were they were kind of boring. I know this sounds really like Paul, you're saying, I I am. Is that they they had no interest in anything anybody else was interested in. They weren't. Incredibly inconsiderate of other people and how they treated them. And and what I noticed is that if it wasn't their idea, if it wasn't their opinion, if it wasn't their way, well, then it was never right. And I just, I said, "I, I just need to tell you that that's the general observation of how you too behave with other people and like I said it it didn't go well for me you know I see it all the time with individuals or couples who want to go to counseling and they start into the counseling whether it's for them personally or maybe for their marriage or maybe them as parents And they start down the road of counseling and then just about the time the counselor starts to make some inroads and starts to probe around the hard truths, then they decide the counselor is an idiot and they walk away and they stop going to counseling. Why? Because somebody started touching on some very sensitive areas and the truth hurt. 
but they didn't want to hear the truth. So they stop looking to the help that somebody was trying to give them. You should know that the one book in the Bible that's all about wisdom, it talks directly to the fact that being wise specifically involves accepting truth. And throughout the book of Proverbs, we see over and over again that it's a fool that doesn't like to hear the truth. So I'm asking you, do you have some people in your life, some friends, that you're inviting to speak the truth into you, to challenge you, to lift you up to become better? And just as we prepare to close, let me suggest to you two qualities that, that you should look for in these kinds of friends. At least one of your friends should have these two qualities. And the first is, they should be honest. They should be the kind of person and be given the kind of permission that allows them to just tell the truth. Everybody needs at least one friend who's honest with you about you. Now, here's the deal. Oftentimes, when someone says, well, you want me to be honest? That's the spirit that comes with Like, You want me to be honest? Okay, well, then I'm gonna be brutally honest. No, I'm not talking about brutally honest. I'm just talking about being honest. There's nothing about honesty that means that it has to be inconsiderate or mean. You can be very gracious, compassionate, empathetic, and say, here, in all of the love that I have for you, I just need you to know the truth about what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing and what I'm observing about the way that you're living your life. But honest means they're simply gonna tell you what you need to hear. I mean, look at this. It's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. Proverbs chapter 27. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy will simply tell you what you think. Just kiss up to you. Look at this, Proverbs chapter 27. Perfume and incense, they bring joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Folks, if you have friends who only tell you what you want to hear, I'm going to suggest you need better friends. If you have friends who won't tell you what you need to hear, you need some better friends. If you have friends, listen, if you have friends who tell you what you shouldn't hear, are giving you advice that's not helpful, who are drawing you into doing things that are not wise and healthy and constructive for your life, if you have friends who tell you what you shouldn't hear, you need better friends. Again, founded in the truths of the scriptures, Proverbs 16, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. A violent person entices their neighbor and leads them down to a path that's not good. We gotta be careful with who we surround ourselves with. The second characteristic is you need some friends who will be faithful. In other words, that friend who's honest with you you have to invite that friend to help you with making progress toward becoming a better person. And you need them to be dependable to keep at it until you become a better human. Somebody who's gonna stick with you through the long haul and walk you through the hard times. But they're gonna be relentless at insisting that we continue to make progress toward the things that make us better people. You know, a few years ago, about six years ago, I, I set a goal for my life to do something that seemed impossible to me. Um, I made a goal at age 52 that I wanted, I wanted to complete an Ironman race before I turned 60. I had a long ways to go to get ready. And if you don't know, uh, Ironman race is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and a marathon, 26.2 mile run, all has to be done back to back 
within 17 hours. There's just one problem. I hate running. I despise it. And I'm not a very good runner. I seriously think my lungs are about the size of blueberries. And it's been so hard. But you know what? I had some friends that I invited into that with me. And right now in my life, I have three friends who keep me accountable with how I think and how I talk about running. Because when they hear me talk about running in a way that's critical of myself as a runner, they confront me on it. I'll get a text message, I'll get an email, I'll get a phone call, I'll get a conversation with them. They're like, hey, I saw that post that you made on Facebook and you were being really negative about what you're trying to do. And you know what? It's helped. After months of knowing they'll call me out on my negative self-talk about my progress in running, I'm now not only more careful with what I say, but now I'm more aware of what's happening in my mind in regards to that thing that I want to do better. And it's making a difference. So I'm encouraging every one of us, it doesn't have to be about something like that. It could be something completely different. But any arena of your life where you want to get better, you need to list, enlist a helpful friend who's faithful at pushing you toward your goal. Those goals that you're serious about making some change in your life. Look at this. Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. They really are. You get somebody else to help you. Two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. As iron sharpens iron, so one person can help another person to become a better person. Encourage one another. Build each other up just as in the fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. You know what admonishment is? Getting up in your grill pushing you to become better, who admonish you. Hold those kinds of people who challenge and push and, and lift you up. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And then simply, a friend, a friend loves all the time. Even when they have to tell you the truth and it's hard to hear. And I'll, I'll just tell you from experience, <laughs> friends like that can be annoying with their persistence. That's only because accountability is a hard taskmaster. But a wise person welcomes a friend's persistence. Listen, this is important. A wise person welcomes that kind of persistence as proof that your friend truly loves you. They love you enough to stick with you, to see you through to becoming a better person. A, a true friend tells you the truth. So folks, I'm gonna tell you, you need great friends in your life. Where do you find them? Uh, this one suggestion, a great church is a great place to find great friends. A church community is full of people who share similar values, who want similar things, who have a connection and a relationship with God that's incredibly helpful to all of us. So I'd say to you that Cibola Creek or some other great church is a great place to find great friends. But here's the deal. That's not gonna happen on a Sunday morning, sitting in a service. <laughs> Certainly isn't going to happen well sitting in your living room, watching online. It's hard to find new friends, great friends that way. So here at Cibolo Creek, that's why life groups are such an important expression of what our church is trying to do in people's lives, is give them a place to make some friends who will push them to become better people. Stronger friends leads to stronger faith. Now, now, I know the last couple of months have been a challenge for those of you who are in groups. It's been recommended that we can't meet together in groups of a certain size. It's been recommended that um, we got to keep our distance. 
and the, some of you, I've been so pleased, some of you have continued to meet together as a group on Zoom, but Zoom has its limits, it has its challenges. So if you have found your involvement in groups interrupted by the last several months, I wanna, I wanna challenge you as your pastor, I wanna challenge you to re-engage. Start taking the steps to getting your group back together. Meeting in homes or um, backyards or other places where you can just start to get together again and renew and refresh those friendships. And if you're not in a group, but you're interested in being connected to a group, we'd love to help. And Matt's gonna come back here after I pray and, and tell you a little bit about how that works. So folks, be wise in the friends that you choose because they determine the future of your life. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the timeless wisdom of the scriptures. And to just recognize that all throughout the scriptures, there are so many principles about the kinds of friends that we choose. That evidently it's part of your wise way of living is that we're careful, that we carefully choose the company that we keep for the good of our lives. So, Father, thank you for friendships. And I ask for your blessing upon this church as we continue to nurture and encourage the value of strong friendships for our congregation. Father, I pray that in your blessings toward us, you might surround us with great people who help us become not only great human beings, but great followers of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.